Here at Victory Life, we have been on a journey these past 31 weeks through an abridged copy of the Bible, a Reader's Digest, if you will, called The Story. And the story is a Bible that you can read chronologically from start to finish and see the overarching story of God, which is so cool, and it reads like a novel. We've been doing that for the past 21 weeks, and for those of you who know how the Bible is broken up between Old Testament and New Testament, this is the week for Victory Lifers that we get into the New Testament after 21 weeks of studying the Bible, which is so cool. And as you can see on the display today, we are in the title, or the chapter entitled, The Birth of a King. And you say, so we're having Christmas in June. Well, yes, we are. We're having Christmas in June today. You know, I was, had the opportunity recently to do some traveling, and I was coming back up through southern Ohio, and as I was doing that, I was listening to the Indians game. And you know that we have a gift here in northeast Ohio when we get to listen to the radio for an Indians game. Well, I wasn't in northeast Ohio, and I had to listen to the Indians game on someone else's radio station. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And I heard things like this. He gets a piece of the ball. It's a deep fly. It has a chance. And it's gone to the right field bleachers. Home run. Now, you know that's not how we do it here in Cleveland. <laughs> We've got a guy named Tom Hamilton, don't we? And that call starts with a swing and a drive away back. Thank you, all of you Indians fans. Sometimes you need to tell the story in a vibrant way to capture it, don't you? I love Tom Hamilton because he not only tells me the story, but he tells it in such a passionate way that you feel like you were there. You know what? The Bible is such an interesting document because it does not tell a dispassionate story. It tells a very passionate story, a story of a God who created human beings to be with them, but human beings who walked in another direction and decided that they could determine the purpose and the meaning of life. And in doing so, they walked away from love and joy and peace and patience and kindness and goodness and faithfulness. All that God is and all that God created us to be, we went to the other side of the coin. And as we left the Old Testament, we saw people passionately making the call, talking about the depth of human brokenness. People called prophets who were talking about the depth of human selfishness, the the depth of, of, of human unfaithfulness, and how as much as humans might try to make their way back to God, it's just not happening. It's a passionate call, but a, a, a negative call. But as we step into the New Testament, someone's making a call that's passionate again, but the call is perfectly positive. Because the one that the entire Old Testament is pointing to the one who is expected, the one who is going to change everything and do something about the brokenness and the selfishness and the unfaithfulness of humankind is going to come. And as the entire ancient world looked toward the event that was Jesus Christ, the entire world today has looked back on the event that was Jesus Christ. In fact, those who wanted to tell the story about what Jesus did were many. There were dozens of people who wanted to write biographies about this man named Jesus and what he did and what he came to do. But only four of those biographies have become authoritative. 
meaning that they were verified as being eyewitness accounts or the accounts of eyewitnesses one person removed about who Jesus was and what Jesus said. We know that today as our Gospels, or in the English, good news stories, and they're known as Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Matthew begins telling his story about Jesus by connecting Jesus to some of the Old Testament heroes who God made promises to. Abraham, that he promised that God promised that through his descendants, God would somehow bless the world. David, that through David's descendants, someone would come who would rule forever. Mark begins his gospel just by plainly saying, this is the beginning of the gospel of Jesus, the Messiah, the anointed one, the Son of God. Luke begins his gospel in a way that we hear every Christmas, with a baby in a manger, God's eternal son, coming in a humble place, to humble people, so that we would know that there is no one outside the gift of God's grace. But when I think about the way John tells the story of Jesus, I think of Tom Hamilton calling a home run. I think of someone who, after he had walked and talked and spent his, his time with Jesus, and Jesus had, had done everything that Jesus was going to do on this earth, had mouth agape writing in awe about his friend Jesus. And if you turn to the story, if you have your story Bibles today, you can page, turn to page 309. Or if you turn to John chapter 1 in the New Testament in your standard Bible today, that would be great too. If you go to BibleGateway.com on your, on your phone this morning and download that app, you can get it there. But if you don't want to do any of that, it'll be up on the screen. But we're going to see the open mouth awe that the apostle, that the, the disciple John writes about the beginning of his story regarding the Son of God come to earth. This is what it says in verse 1 of John chapter 1, page 309 of the story. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was with God in the beginning. Through him all things were made, and without him nothing was made that has been made. In him was life, and that life was the light of all mankind. Skipping down to verse 9. The true light that gives light to everyone was coming into the world. Skipping to verse 14. And the word became flesh and lived among us. And we have seen his glory, the glory of the Father's only Son, full of grace and truth. John begins telling his story about Jesus in the most grandiose terms imaginable. He tries to find the most elevated, awesome, awe-inspiring ways to describe this phenomena that was Jesus. And he tries to communicate it to us. And he calls Jesus the Word. Now, somebody said something to me this week, and I said, yeah, Word. And then they looked at me and, like I was not cool enough to convey that statement. So I'm not going to say word to anything any longer. But for us, words convey meaning. At the, at the very basic, fundamental concept of, of the concept of a word, it's conveying meaning. But in the ancient world, word meant something all the more serious. You see, John was writing to two different types of audiences. One who were Greek, or who spoke Greek. Much the way English is the common language of trade and, and uh, diplomacy today, Greek was the language of trade and diplomacy at the time the New Testament was written. 
So he's writing to a Greek audience to try to tell them about Jesus, but he's writing to that Greek audience through a Jewish audience that would have expected a savior. And the Jewish audience would have had a concept of what the word meant, and the Greek audience would have had a concept of what the word meant. Let's start with the Jewish audience that he was writing to, the Jewish people who had been dispersed throughout the New Testament world. To them, the concept of word meant the message of God, the knowledge of God. John is saying very plainly to his Jewish audience, Jesus is the continued message of God. Now, they would have understood the law of Moses. You've all seen the Ten Commandments. They would have understood that God gave them a law and a culture and, and, and a way of being that made them distinct from the rest of the world. John is saying very clearly that Jesus is the continuing and fulfilling message of God to human beings. But if God's giving us a message, that means something. That means God wants us to know something about him. John is saying that Jesus is the way to know God. We write messages all the time so people can know us better and, and, and understand what we want from them. Now, every time my wife and I need a babysitter that hasn't babysat in a while, we have to leave for an extended period of time, I see something in, invariably happen. My wife goes to the dining room table and gets out the notebook paper. And she begins writing. And then she writes some more. And then she writes some more. And in essence, she, she keeps writing until she has written instructions for all five of our children. Because there's a babysitter coming that's going to be overwhelmed 30 seconds in. And they're going to need some information on how my wife does things, interprets things, and parents. See, God recognizes that we are going to be overwhelmed in this life. He recognizes that we are going to face things that we're not quite certain of, that, that we don't quite know what to do. Why we're here, what we're doing, what we're supposed to be doing, what's our purpose, what's our meaning, why were we created? And John's saying, Jesus is that message to you. Jesus is that message to you. To the Greek mind, logos, or word, that's the Greek word for word, logos, meant something a little bit different. You see, the Greek philosophers used the term word to describe the concept of God's overarching plan in the universe. John is saying to his Greek audience very plainly, those who would have been scholarly and those who would have been well-read, those who would have been the, the, the geniuses of their time, hey, listen, Jesus is the overarching plan of God since the foundation of the world. Awe-inspiring terms, awesome terms. He's saying Jesus is the plan that God has had since the foundation of the world. In fact, if you read on right here in John chapter 1, verse 3, it says, Through him all things were made, and without him nothing was made that has been made. You say, why is he being redundant? John's being redundant because he wants us to know that God would not have created you and I unless Jesus had a plan for us. God would not have created human beings with a free will, free agents, people who could choose whether or not to love him or spurn him, God would not have created us unless he had a plan for redeeming us, for bringing us back from any type of trouble that we might find ourselves in. So when John says Jesus is the plan and Jesus is in, in, inherent in creation, God doesn't create human beings unless Jesus is willing to come to earth, we learn something about God's plan that God's plan from eternity has been to send his son. 
You say, why do I need a message and why do I need a plan? Well, we heard it in one of the songs today. There's sometimes we lay up awake at night and we begin to ask those existential questions that all of us face. Why am I here? God, where are you? Why have you created this big ball called earth spinning around the sun? What am I to do with this life that you've given me? What's my purpose? What's the way to live my best life? I I don't know that I know the answers to this. Plenty of people would like to interpret that for you. Usually it's in commercials. The great philosophers of our age are television commercials, if you did not know that. They tell you why you are living, why you should be living, what you deserve, and what you should be doing. But God had a message for us long before that. A message that tells us and answers the questions that touch our soul in the dead of the night. But God also has a plan. And we need to know that. And he wants us to know that. Because as much as there's beauty in this world, as much as there's great things, as much as there's the cuteness and the innocence of these children, as much as there's love that we get to share with other human beings, as much as we love cool water on a hot day, or a sunny day after an entire June of rain. No matter what we face in this world, we also recognize that something's broken. Something's not right. Like when people treat each other poorly, we look and go, why? When we see illness and pain and death, we go, how come? And is there anything to be done about any of this? God has a plan. And that plan is to overcome and redeem it all. Interestingly enough, John starts his book with some high-level talk, doesn't he? It sounds very philosophical, very theological, but then he just goes right into telling a story. You might expect a theological treatise at this point, a book of philosophy. I remember in philosophy class in college, I wrote my final paper And my professor wrote back, I don't think you really know how to read or interpret philosophy at all. (laughs) And I thought, okay. Yeah, I guess I should go into theology because philosophy is not my thing. (laughs) You expect a book of philosophy after you hear Jesus was the word and the message and the plan. You expect that, but that's not what you get. You get a story. A story about a person. You see, there's a lot of other concepts of why we were created, a lot of other faiths out there that say that God has a plan and God has a message. But the beautiful thing about what John saw was that the message and the plan was a person. Someone who was like us, but not like us. Someone who could suffer like us, but was not going to partake in the brokenness and selfishness and unfaithfulness like us. Someone who was going to be the us that we were meant to be and set the standard for us to come to God. The word, God's plan and his God's message, is highly personal. You might be sitting in church today and you hear a lot of terms floated out there in the world, terms like a a born-again Christian or people who have a relationship with Jesus. And you go, I I don't know that I can understand those terms at all. To me, that sounds like a political party or or just some people having a weird spiritual trip. 
But if you read the story of the scripture and you open your heart and your spirit that's inside of you to the heart and the spirit of God, recognizing that God has not sent a treatise, hasn't sent a manual, ha- hasn't sent a, 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 a book of philosophy to tell you how to live, but actually sent his son. All of a sudden, having a relationship with Jesus doesn't sound all that strange. Having a new life doesn't sound all that outrageous. If God truly is a personal God and wants us to know him and wants us to know why we're here and what we're supposed to be doing. John says, in my friend Jesus was life. And that life was the light of men. And for 2,000 years, Billions of people have discovered that in Jesus there is new life. A fresh start. A concept of who God is and what his plan is for us. An opportunity to walk away from the guilt and the shame of the past. The mistakes that we all make and move into something brand new. He says, in him was life And that life was the light of the world, the light of all mankind. That manger speaks all. That manger speaks all. If your kid would have been born there, you would have been pretty upset. Some of you were upset because the epidural didn't come in time. You'd be really upset if an animal had just gone number two right by where your baby was laying. Jesus was for all people. That's why he came in such a lowly state. That's why he came in a way that would remind all of us that regardless of our past, regardless of our socioeconomic status, our race, regardless of of where we've come from or where we're going, Jesus is for us, and he can shed light on the life that we're living right now. Light can be scary. Sometimes I turn the light on in my kid's room after not being there for a while. And things are revealed that horrify me. (laughs) That's the negative aspect of light. And you know what? I won't mess with you. Sometimes when we turn our lives over to the one who gave us life, things can get a little messy for a while because he can shed light on some of the things that we've tried to keep hidden. But that's a healthy exercise in the end, because God brings us closer to the person he wants us to be. But there's also the type of light that shines after it's been dark for a while. Remember that last power outage where you had to get the candles ready? You knew the darkness was coming, and you wanted to just have a little light in the darkness. I remember for us the last time that happened in the middle of the night and the kids' night lights wouldn't work and we resorted to candles. It was terrifying. Terrifying for them. Terrifying for us because we thought we wouldn't sleep all night. When that power came back on, what a relief. That's what Jesus can be in our lives. He can be the power coming back on. 
reminding us that our life is no accident, that God created us with a purpose, and even if we've walked away from that purpose, he loves us and wants us back. One more verse that John wanted to share with us. Verse 14. He says, Yet as many who did receive him, that being the word, to those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. We talk oftentimes at Christmas, we Christians, we say the greatest gift of all was God's son. The greatest gift that God could have given us was himself, and it's true. I want to know why I'm here, what I'm doing, and that's what John's trying to convey. John's trying to convey, before I knew Jesus, I didn't know who I was, what I was doing, or how I would ever get to God. But then I met him, and he said, I didn't become a slave. I didn't become somebody I didn't want to be. I didn't have my life ripped from me, the life I loved. It wasn't taken from me. Something so much greater was given to me. I became a child of God. Now, I talk about my friends nicely sometimes. Sometimes I say, yeah, he's a good dad. He's a good husband. Yeah, even at that age, he can throw a wicked curveball. I might say nice things about my friends. John walked and talked with Jesus Christ and said he is the message, he's the plan, he's the life, and he's the light. There is no other interpretation I can make of what I've seen. And he's made me a child of God. But it has to be received, as any gift needs to be received. Perhaps you've seen a video of somebody who walks out on Christmas morning and a brand new car is sitting there. And they say, no, that's not mine. That's not for me. That can't be mine. And whoever bought the car is going, yeah, it's yours. It's yours. No. You're playing a trick on me. No, it's yours. And they take the keys and they get in slow and they still look at that person who handed them the keys like they're committing highway robbery. And they turn the engine over and they sort of smile because they believe that it's actually for them and they receive the gift. A lot of times we walk into church or we hear things about Christ and we go, oh no, it can't be for me. That's not mine. That, that, that can't be for me. John makes a good use of the word all and every to remind us that God's intention in creating every one of us was to return to him through his son, Jesus. God wants us all to become his children and to choose to do so. What a gift we have in Jesus. Would you bow your heads and pray with me? God, we thank you for the gift of your son. So many here could say without a shadow of a doubt, they've seen the message, the plan, the life, and the light of God in the face of your son. We thank you, God, that you did not place us on this earth to walk alone. 
but you have given each one of us the opportunity to become your child. Regardless of our past, regardless of our state in life, regardless of our emotional hang-ups, you have a plan and a purpose for each one of us. For as many as believe and as many as receive. Perhaps you're in this place today and very candidly you would admit to yourself, you know what? I don't know what I'm doing. I'm not happy with the way things have been going. And if this is true, I need it. If God can really give me a new life and a fresh start, I'll take it. He can and he will. Now, I'm going to do something a little bit different today. We're just going to pray for a minute. For those of you who are newer to church, we're not going to do anything weird. We're just going to pray for a minute, give you the opportunity to, to pray and talk to God. But with every head bowed and every eye closed, if God's already at some point in your life given you a new start, through his son Jesus why don't you just lift a hand to heaven say that's me he gave me a new start he gave me a new start I needed a new life he gave me a new start he changed me forever keep that hand raised now if you're in this place and you say I'm scared to raise my hand to God you don't have to worry I'll never see it but he will if you want that new start today, if you want to believe and receive the gift that is Christ Jesus, God's plan, his message, his life, and his light, just raise your hand to heaven and say, God, that's me. I want that new start. I need that new start. I need that new start. You can all put your hands down today. And I'm just going to invite you want that fresh start, you can have it today. We're just going to pray a prayer. It's not a magic prayer. There's nothing that I say that, you know, makes smoke come from the rafters. But it's an honest prayer that connects your spirit to God's spirit. And I'm going to ask everybody here who's already prayed this type of prayer like this before to repeat after me. And if it's your first time, you repeat it and you mean it from your heart. And you receive and believe all that God has for you. Just repeat after me. Lord Jesus, I thank you that you came to earth. I thank you that you're the message, the plan, the life, and the light. Give me new life. Shed light on my life. Clean up the things that need cleaned up. Forgive the things that need forgiven. Make me new. Give me a purpose. Give me a hope. Fulfill meaning in my life. And I'll serve you all my days as a grateful child of God. I pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. God bless you. Would you all stand today?
Folks, I know we got a lot going on after service today. And I know there's folks going to be heading out to growth track and picnics and luncheons. But if you prayed that prayer for the first time today, don't walk out with only a lighter. Don't walk out with just that moment of recognition and leave it there. I'm going to have some of our church leaders here right at the front. And they have a little red book. It's called Living in Christ. And guess what it does? It takes you through the rest of the book of John and talks about what it means to have God shed life and light on your life. It talks all about what it means to be a Christian. I'd love you to stop by, pick it up. They won't be weird to you. They'll just get your name and send it on to you. But please, if you pray that prayer today and you want that fresh start, they'll give that to you. If you want them to pray for you, they will powerful thing that you can do to say I prayed that prayer and I meant it. We're going to pray and dismiss. God we thank you for all the good things you've done in this place today. We thank you for the beauty of what these kids have told us. That God is good regardless of the things in this life that we face. We thank you God for the great time that they had this week. A time that will give them hope and purpose and meaning. Light and life. I pray Lord that Everything that we've said in the past few minutes, Lord, would continue to bring life and light and hope back into our lives so we can continue, Lord, to do all the things that you placed us on this earth to do. Thank you for your goodness to us and dismiss us with your blessing. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. God bless you. You are dismissed.